Hi, right, good morning. It's great to see you here at Hope and Anchor Church. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about a chance to open God's Word uh, and to do that together. Um, it's a gift that we get to uh, join our hearts and do this thing together, which really symbolizes or ought to uh, symbolize that which we've been doing all week long in our personal uh, Devotion, our personal study of the word and prayer, and also in in smaller gatherings. Uh, I hope that you have people that you gather with each week, you know, one or two people that you're really going deeper uh, in in your walk with Jesus. You're really challenging each other, helping them grow. I hope that you're uh, in each other's homes. Uh, this is where we hope to get as a church family that we're more and more connected. That throughout the week, it's not just a weekend thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's actually a thing that uh, is. Uh, punctuating our week, this fellowship, this interaction, because we believe in that we're being shaped by the gospel. We're being shaped to be more like Jesus in our world. And then when we're sent out, we're more uh, empowered, informed, and uh, uh, in a community that shares that vision. So anyway, this is an important part in that process, an important part of what God is doing in our lives together. So, hey, guess what? Last week we finished a teaching series on uh, Gideon. We finished our Everyday People uh, Gideon series. And today we're starting a brand spanking new series called Law and Prophets. Law and Prophets. This is week number one. And today's message is called Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan. Uh, in the... Something my wife and I have enjoyed doing recently is uh, scheduling trips to Europe and then canceling them. That's uh, kind of become a pastime of ours. It really doesn't cost very much, actually. You can book things, refundable, and then just cancel them because of COVID. That's kind of what we do. Back in the uh, summer of 2020, uh, we had a trip to Italy planned, uh, and it was our first time. We were newbies. We were kind of rookies at it, but we got to cancel that one. We got to cancel that trip to Europe, and... Uh, so we decided that we still wanted to go on vacation, though, uh, and so we decided to uh, plan a fairly local uh, alternative vacation. So if you had to cancel a trip to Europe and could go somewhere in the United States instead of Europe, where would you go? I don't know how you answer that question, but for two years in a row, my wife, my family, and I have answered that question, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. We canceled a trip to Italy, to Europe, and went to Wisconsin instead. You see, we wanted to go somewhere with water, lots of water, but we didn't want to go to Florida. Uh, so we decided a trip to Wisconsin was in order to visit Lake Michigan. Has anyone spent much time on the Great Lakes? They're beautiful, right? Uh, so we wanted to go to Lake Michigan. Uh, I had previously not spent much time on the Great Lakes, uh, so this seemed like a perfect opportunity to discover and enjoy a relatively new part of our country. So by and by, we uh, went to Wisconsin, we uh, saw lots of neat different places, but my favorite place of all was called Kohler Andreas State Park. Has anyone ever been to Kohler Andreas State Park? Well. It's situated just south of the city of Sheboygan. Sheboygan, Wisconsin, right? Uh, it is 988 acres of some of the most beautiful sand dunes, uh, pine trees, and pristine coastline that you'll ever see right there on the western shore of Lake Michigan. It's beautiful and it's not crowded. I'm, uh, seriously, I recommend <laughs> Lake Michigan uh, Lakeshore, uh, especially during COVID. No one's there. Go, it's great. 
The water was chilly. I don't think the waters of the Great Lakes get very warm, but uh, the water was chilly, but it was tolerable. We were able to, to swim. The sand, it felt good on our feet as we shuffled our way out into the deeper water. Uh, we were hearing seagulls soaring overhead, and you could even see sailboats going by. It was perfect. It was perfect. I mean, the, the lakes are so big that it feels like you're at the ocean. Along the shore, uh, we collected, we found and collected many <laughs> thousands of smooth, rounded rocks of various colors uh, shaped and gathered by the wave action of Lake Michigan. And as a good youth pastor, I brought object lesson, uh-oh. Um, I brought rocks from Lake Michigan that you're welcome to come see right after we're finished up. But these are beautiful rocks. And they were all gathered and shaped by the wave action over the years of Lake Michigan. So I invite you to check these out. But they're really great. And I think you too will fall under their spell. Like my wife did. It is not an exaggeration to say that my wife uh, packed 30 pounds of rocks uh, home from Lake Michigan. It started with her little blue backpack that she always travels with. It was full uh, almost to bursting. I was worried about it breaking. Uh, we were sent back to the car on several occasions to find Walmart bags and grocery sacks to fill with rocks. Our little pond in the garden in the backyard is surrounded by rocks from Lake Michigan. Rocks and shells. You'll be happy to find that there's shells in Lake Michigan as well. My wife loves to collect rocks. Now, one thing we noticed right away about swimming in Lake Michigan was how the water felt. The water just felt different. And unlike the ocean, uh, the water was cool and clear. And guess what else? Not salty. It was not salty. All of the Great Lakes, as you probably know, are freshwater. They're not salt water. What this means then is that the water, it didn't sting your eyes. Uh, the water didn't coat your body with that salty film. Uh, it didn't get into your mouth like it does when you swim in the ocean. My wife also liked the fact that there were no sharks. There are no sharks in the Great Lakes. And she found great solace in the fact that no sharks were swimming around her feet. Uh, swimming in the Great Lakes made me think about what Jesus said about his people being salt, being the salt of the earth, and how we ought to affect the world around us. Because the thing is, uh, you swim in the ocean, you notice the salt because it's unavoidably noticeable. Uh, it's salty. Likewise, the absence of that salt in a place that feels like the ocean is also noticeable. Spending time in Lake Michigan, it helped me recognize how noticeable salt is and how it really does define things. Its presence just really shapes an experience. I recognize, too, that its absence is also quite noticeable. One cannot swim in the ocean without an undeniable sense of its saltiness. Likewise, one can't swim in the Great Lakes without discovering its absence. So I want you to just imagine here. Imagine me wading into Lake Michigan's chilly waters in my Speedo. <laughs> you got it? Oh, Kelly just did a, a face palm. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. You're welcome. Anyway, just like me wading into the chilly waters of Lake Michigan, today we are wading into a new teaching series. We launch ourselves into a brand new teaching series called Law and Prophets. Law and Prophets. 
If you remember, if you've been with us here at Hope and Anchor previously, we've spent time with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, exploring the Beatitudes. We did a teaching series called The Beautiful Attitudes, and then we did another series on the Lord's Prayer called Our Father. So we, we are accustomed to Jesus teaching on the hillside in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, now we're going to spend the next, I think... Uh, uh, shock horror, 22 weeks, I think, uh, studying the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Guys, I think this will be time well spent. We're in no hurry. Guys, I get to do this until Jesus comes back or I die. So we've got weeks, okay? I'm not going anywhere, all right? Uh, but we're going to fill in the gaps, okay? We're going to work through the rest of Jesus' sermon and immerse ourselves in the central themes and teachings of the with God life. Okay, Jesus was invested in helping us understand what it means to, to, to enter into the with God life. Living life under the Lordship of Jesus, living in the presence and reality of God uh, in this lifetime. Immediately following Jesus' discourse on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, Jesus turns our, our attention, he turns his attention, and by doing so, our attention to what it means to be God's people in the world. And this is what he's talking about then in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through chapter 7, verse 29. That's what the rest of the whole Sermon on the Mount is about. The essential nature of what Jesus is teaching during the Sermon on the Mount is centered on the character the virtues and the priorities expected of those who would follow after him. Jesus had lots of people coming to him and saying, hey, we want to follow you. We want to be your disciples. Well, he found it necessary then to say, okay, well, here's what that means. Here's what it means. If you want to be my follower, if you want to be a Christian, a little Christ in the world, you've got to understand these things. You've got to order your life around these this character, these virtues, and these priorities. Those who will call themselves Christians will live in this way. What we believe about God and what we confess about Christ must have lived out implications. Okay? What we believe, calling yourself a Christian, uh, reading the Bible, shouldn't just fill our brain with ideas or understanding. It should have lived out implications in our world in order for our faith to actually be genuine, in order for our faith to be effective. Jesus brings spiritual and practical, the spiritual and the practical nature of the Christian life together. And I like that. I like that Jesus is intent on putting handles on this thing, saying, hey, carry this with you. Live this thing out. Don't, don't just believe it. Don't just agree with it. Actually shape your life around these things. Jesus cuts right to the chase in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. He begins by firing a shot right over the bow. He says this, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are necessary. You are necessary in revealing and representing my kingdom. I've invested a lot in you to be my people, to reveal and represent my kingdom in the world. Now, it's always important when we read things in the Bible, which is from a far different time and place than ours, first century uh, Near East, um, what would the people have understood Jesus to be saying when he said, you are the salt of the world? We have a different relationship with salt now than people back then had with salt, and we'll explain that here in a minute. So, let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. 
But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Popular teaching of Jesus. Has anyone never heard this passage? Has anyone never heard a sermon on this passage? Right? I've got my work cut out for me. I've got to help us hear this in a fresh way, to be motivated, stirred up by this. Uh, let's look at Luke. Uh, there's oftentimes in the Gospels, there's parallel passages. Okay? Uh, the words of Jesus are also recorded by some of the other Gospel writers. So let's do this. Let's flip over to Luke chapter 14, verses 34 through 35, and get his take on Jesus' teaching here. Luke 14, 34 and 35. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. I just wanted to read that mostly because he talks about manure pile. I mean, that really is visceral. I was like, oh, what? It's no good? It's only good for being thrown on the pile of cow poo? That's how worthless it is? That's pretty worthless. Anyone with ears to hear, or he said it's thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus wants us to hear this. He wants us to understand this. Being salty matters, being, in the old, old school sense. Um, have, all right, so, hey, um, Jesus said be salt, and he said be light. And he wasn't just being metaphorical. As you consider this, what does it mean? And I want actually some answers here if it's okay. What does it mean? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, be salt and be light? What comes to mind for you? How do you be salt and how do you be light in this world? I'd like three answers. To set an example. To set an example. Salt makes everything taste better. Okay. Okay, enhance the flavor of the world, all right? What else? Practically. Yeah, you can't see in the dark, right? Unless you echolocate. Like a bat. All right. Uh, Jesus meant something here. He doesn't just have a certain attitude. He's like, hey, live in a certain way, like salt, like light. And I hope to unpack this a little bit. My goal is for each of us to leave here today with a better understanding uh, of how Jesus is motivating us with this teaching. That we can go and live in a way that is bringing salt into the world, that is bringing light into the world. And we'll talk more about light next week because you're going to notice I'm just talking about salt today and you're going to be upset, but come back next week. Now, Pliny the Elder, or Pliny the Elder, depending on how you're taught, uh, he was a Roman historian. He was a contemporary of Jesus in the early church. He lived from 23 to 79 AD in that first century, and he wrote this, uh, this, uh, uh, this, this statement. Nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. Nothing is more useful than salt or sunshine. If we were, to, were able to travel back in time to the first century Palestine, we would find that salt was extremely valuable for several different reasons. It was, it was a necessity. It was an indispensable quantity or an indispensable commodity. In fact, the word salary, if you're paid at work a salary, did you know that that word comes from salt? It comes from the Latin word salarium, or salarium, uh, which refers to the wage that a Roman soldier would make or would be paid. They would be paid sometimes in actual salt, but they would be paid so that they could uh, buy an equivalent amount of salt. 
This is where we in our common vernacular refer to a good teammate or a good worker as being worth his salt. This guy's worth his salt. This girl, she's worth her salt on this team. I'm so thankful she's here. Have you ever said that phrase? Okay, some of you had <laughs> over a certain age. All right, all right, all right. I like that. Homeschool. All right. <laughs> yes. Uh, salt was precious. Salt is precious in that it enhances and it preserves everything it touches. Just by its very nature, salt being present affects things. It enhances and it preserves. As a seasoning, salt brings out the flavor of our favorite foods. Prior to refrigeration, salt was uh, essential in the preserving of food. You could coat meats in, in salt and hang them in a dry, cool place, and they'd be preserved. Uh, inside the body, did you know this? Salt is necessary for cardiac function. Salt is required for cellular activity. Uh, simply put, if you don't have salt, uh, your heart stops. And if your heart stops, you die. I'm not a doctor, but I know these things. Salt is what, what enables the potassium and the sodium allows the, the, the cells of our heart to contract, to pump, to work. So if we don't have salt, we die. So the parallels uh, to the first century audience were very obvious. The parallels should be obvious to us as well. Jesus knew that, and his listeners knew that too. If, if followers of Jesus are to be salt, the salt of the earth, what does this mean? It means we serve a critical role in the enhancement and the preservation of life, the enhancement and preservation of God's good creation. We have an important, necessary role to play while we're here. Now, a chemist among us might be scratching their head right now. I imagine Nathan might be scratching his head like, what salt? Salt can't lose its saltiness. Did you know this? Salt, by its very nature, is just salty. You can't lose saltiness. Well, what's going on? Is Jesus uninformed? Has he not taken this class yet on, on, on molecular chemistry? <laughs> I'm struggling here, but... Jesus' warning about salt losing its flavor and becoming useless might not make sense. You might be thinking, well, salt is a stable compound. It can't lose its saltiness. It's just the nature of its makeup. Well, understand this. The way salt was mined in the first century, the way salt was gathered, it was not a very controlled process. It was not a very refined process. Um, Salt in the ancient world was often mined from salt marshes uh, or gathered from the Dead Sea region uh, instead of through evaporation as it often is collected now. The mined salt then uh, contained a lot of impurities like uh, minerals and sand. I mean, you might get a pound of salt, but a good portion of that might not be salt. So what happens? Well, the actual salt over time could leach out from that quantity uh, through exposure to water, usually rain. Uh, and what would be left behind? Well, only the insoluble minerals and sand. So leaving behind a tasteless, diluted residue that was mostly sediment and almost completely useless. And once that salt was dissolved and lost, it was impossible to recover. It had been washed away. It had been uh, uh, leached out of that, that, that collection of, of minerals. It was gone. There was no way to get it back. 
Jesus' question then, can you make it salty again, wasn't to me, meant to be answered. Why? Because everybody already knew the answer. They had lived this. They, they knew what it meant to lose their salt, to pay dearly for salt, and then for it to be lost through carelessness. He didn't ask anyone, he didn't ask this question. People are like, uh, actually, salt is, <laughs> no one answered. It was purely rhetorical. No one had to answer because everyone knew. The only use for tasteless, leftover, quote-unquote, salt was, it, was for it to be cast aside, for it to be, scattered, um, to be scattered on flat roofs because it would help harden the soil that would cover their rooftops, uh, which would help prevent leaks, I guess, uh, and it would be trodden on, it would be walked on by other people. In the first century, these flat-roofed domiciles, homes, were a regular gathering place. A lot of meals happened up there. A lot of people just congregated on top of the homes. And so scattering this useless salt on the roof would help harden the soil and prevent leaks and create a more uh, solid pavement for gathering. So, we are sent to be salt, the salt of the earth. We are sent to enrich and enliven the world with the gospel, proclaiming life and preservation with our very presence. Everything we do under the Lordship of Jesus in our days ought to be bringing life and preservation into our world. And if we refuse to do so, what does that mean? If we allow our saltiness to be polluted, diluted, or dissolved, what happens? Well, God, for the sake of the world, will cast us aside. He will make way for others who are obedient, others who are living out their calling and their identity in Christ to come in our place. He will cast us aside. He will actually allow us to be set aside so that others may come that might walk upon us, as the, the analogy goes, so that they can faithfully go forth and be that salt in the world. Does that make sense? Jesus meant what he said here. Salt is valuable. You are valuable. Okay? Make the connection here. Salt is valuable, therefore you are valuable because you are the salt of the world. Jesus knew what he meant, and he meant what he said. Salt wasn't valuable just because of what it was. It was ultimately valuable because of what it did. Okay? Your value doesn't come from just being the salt. It's from doing the salt. Being the salt in the world, doing what salt does, that's what makes salt valuable. Not because of what it is, but because of what it does. And the same goes for you and me. Our, our identification with Christ, our identity in Christ is of infinite worth, but it's only put to its intended purpose when we... It's only put to its intended purpose when we go out into the world, when we obey, and when we are intent on making God visible to those around us. To making the ways of God, the, the life in Christ, visible and accessible to those around us. As we go and as we tell and as we live out the good news of Jesus Christ, as we go out declaring that death and decay do not get the final word, when we go out proclaiming that in this bland, flavorless life, uh, it's not our ultimate fate. We are actually stepping into our God-ordained, gospel-empowered place. You've come to faith in Jesus. Great. But there's so much more for you. There's much, much more that you've been called into. Jesus didn't call you to Himself just so that you would agree with His teachings. 
that you would believe in Him. He wants to send you out to be His people in the world. And what does that mean? It's that you go out to be the salt and you go out to be the light in the world. So, infused with meaning, empowered with worth, we go out into the world aware of our identity in Christ. We are engaged in our purpose and we are eager to make a difference. There should be a certain divine restlessness in every Christ follower. We should never be resting on our laurels and content. We should always be seeing needs and desiring to see them met. We should look around and see injustices and desire for it to be set right to be made whole, for healing to come. There's this divine restlessness that comes in being a Christ follower. What kind of difference are you called to be making? I want you to think about this. I'm not just up here filling time. God is a calling on your life. You are to be a particular kind of salt in a particular kind of place. What kind of difference are you being called to make? What can you help preserve? How can you bring out flavor in your world this week? What relationships need some gospel saltiness in your life? Man, what, what areas of your life, what relationships do you say, man, if Jesus just showed up here, so much might change. So much hope and life might be, might be uh, introduced. Here's the thing. Being salt in the world, the salt of the world that Jesus talks about, it's not just about preaching. It's not just about teaching or serving in the church. Okay, can I please help you understand that? It's not just he's saying, oh, go be salt, go attend church, participate in church stuff. Please, if that's what you understand, you have a small, inadequate understanding. Our world needs Jesus' people to show up in season communities. Season all of our communities. Uh, how do we do that? What are some of the ways that people I know are being salty in their world, being the salt of the world? Uh, it's through foster care. It's through adoption, making their family, their home available for adoption. It's uh, working for health care initiatives, working for uh, justice issues. It's through uh, uh, creation care, working to prevent uh, making our planet uninhabitable. That's a good gospel cause, right? Uh, peacemaking, good neighboring, becoming a, the, a good neighbor on your block, knowing your neighbors, caring for them, being available to them. Uh, is there poverty around you? Is there food insecurity? What can you do to help combat that? What are some ways that you can show the love of God and actual practical deeds of kindness wherever you go this week? Serving others, sharing with others, dying to yourself enough to ask someone, hey, what can I do for you? What do you need from me? How can I help? Kindness. You see what I mean? There's multiple on-ramps into this idea of being the salt of the world. Each of us have a calling, and it's all under the Lordship of Jesus, but it's going to look different for each and every one of us. But please, be obedient. How exciting is this? How will the gospel compel you to be the salt of the world today? How can the new life and the transformation that we've experienced through faith in Jesus Christ be shared among the people and places in which you will find yourself this week? You matter. So go. Go and flavor Go and preserve and go and enliven your world for the glory of God. I'd like to close with this uh, words of encouragement from uh, 
from Colossians from the Apostle Paul, verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen. Mother Teresa said, We cannot all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And I pray that we would all, hearing the words of Jesus, hearing the words of the Apostle Paul, and maybe even hearing the words of Mother Teresa, go out committed to doing small things with great love this week for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the word. Thank you for your tenderness and your concern that we would know what it means to be your people, that we would live obediently, that we would understand that there are spiritual and there are practical implications of what it means to be a Christ follower, that we would set our hearts on honoring you through our thoughts and through our, through our attitudes, but also through our actions with our hands and our feet, that we would go wherever you send us, but also we'd realize that wherever we are, we can bring uh, your preserving, life-giving presence into that place. God, help us understand what it means to be salt. To be salt means to be valuable, to have a role to play, to have an effect on the world around us. And so, God, I pray that you would help us understand that which we've been called into, the opportunities we've been given. God, I pray for my friends that have had an inadequate, a small understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. I pray that they have an, a, an exploded understanding, that you're calling us to so much more, to be so much more involved and active and incarnational in how we live. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand all that you're going to teach us as we sit with you on that hillside in Matthew. As we hear all this, all, all this truth, all these teachings, that everything hangs on these things. God, work your truth into our heart, I pray. I pray for my friends that have been following Jesus. I pray that they'd have a recalibration today, that uh, you'd uh, expand their imagination, <laughs> that understand all that it means to be following you, all it means to be a Christian, all it means to be living uh, a Christian life. It has implications, very practical, daily, local implications. Help us understand that. God, I pray for my friends who've been kind of standoffish because they don't, they're not really captivated by what they think it means to be a Christian because all they've seen is people who agree with certain things and bash others for not believing it. God, I pray that they would see that it's a comprehensive, transformative, life-giving uh, endeavor. It's surrendering our whole lives to King Jesus so that we might be sent out into the world to be like Him, to bring His resurrection work into the world. So God, help us follow You. Help us uh, embrace that vision and be made new, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and that's when we like to share communion together. And this is a good chance to maybe remember that. Our identity in Christ through His life, His death, His resurrection and ascension, we are made new. And we are sent out, identified by His saving work. We're empowered to make a difference. You can do things this week that bring flavor, enhance, uh, bring enhancement in life. But it starts with us remembering. So we come to the table. We remember the body that was broken. We remember the blood that was shed for us by Christ upon the cross to affect salvation, 
the forgiveness of sins, that all who believe in Jesus, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead, that we would be saved. Comprehensively. Not just saved from, from hell or that I would get a place in heaven, but saved from a small vision. Saved from inward living. But actually brought into this fuller reality, the countryside of God's grace, that we would live that out. And so when we come today, we're saying a lot when we say, yes, Jesus, I follow you. Yes, I remember. And so when we take the bread and we take the cup, we're confessing something important. That we belong to Jesus. That His shed blood, His broken body was for us. And through the power of the resurrection, we too have been raised into new life in Him. So it's important that you enter into a time of introspection, of preparation. And uh, this is for anyone who's trusted Jesus. You don't have to be a part of Hope and Anchor. The Bible makes it clear, those who have confessed Christ as Lord have surrendered, have repented, turned and started following Him, this is for you. You can remember that Christ died for you. So, after you're prepared and after you're ready, I'd invite you to come down the center aisle, be served, take your cup, return down the outside aisles, be seated, and once everyone's served, we will partake together. So, make the most of this opportunity. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks.